You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, church. So uh, I've been tasked today with rounding up our series on Jonah. Um, it's a very short book, and I was just saying this morning that I've enjoyed going through this book because one thing I, I quite like about Jonah um, is that it's very human. Um, and one thing about scriptures, when I go through scripture, my favorite characters are the ones that I can sort of identify with. Um, you know, the ones that are a bit, you know, once people ask you, who's your favorite apostle? Um, I, I like to say Peter, um, because Paul is just so, I was like, that guy's so good, you know, but Peter, you know, he's the one that puts his, his foot in it and then just, you know, there's something very human about him. And Jonah is one of those characters. And it's very easy to misunderstand Jonah. So we'll, we'll start today. Um, I'm going to read a bit of the first, um, the last bit of chapter 3. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is because chapter 4 begins with a conjunction, begins with but. And when you see that word in Scripture, so a chapter start, it started with, with the word but in Scripture. You don't just read. You have to go back to get an understanding of what has been referred to. So we'll, we'll practice that. We'll start with that this morning. So I'm going to start from Jonah chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 6 to the end of that. And then we'll continue into chapter 4. And it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Then we go into chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to leave. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because your word is, is truth. And we thank you because in your word is life. And um, we just pray today that as we come to this word, that you will expose the state of our heart. And in doing so, you will be able to work on it and, and make us into the image of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, at the end of Jonah's adventures, let's put it that way, traveling all the way to Nineveh, however um, reluctantly, getting on the, uh, the whale express or the big fish express, he went through the city, um, preached the, the, the word that got placed on his heart, and then he, he saw a massive result. It's arguably the most successful evangelistic um, output pouring or evangelistic output um, ever recorded in the Old Testament. 
a city of pagans. We're not talking about Jews here or, or Israelites. We're talking about pagans who didn't know God. And over 120,000 of them, old and young, wealthy and poor, king and low, everyone turned to God. And Jonah's reaction is quite outstanding. It says he was exceedingly displeased and angry. If you use the ESV version of, of, of the Bible, um, there's a, there's a little, little footnote that says that he found God's reaction to the Ninevites exceedingly evil. He found, he, found, he found how God treated them repugnant beneath the dignity of God. That's how angry he was. And we might think that's, that's absurd. You know, after all, it, we have... Uh, people in this church, people like Tom, who is uh, the, the lead elder in this church, when he, he preaches. So we've got um, Ed Sheeran around in Ipswich, for those who don't know yet. Um, I think you might still be able to get a ticket or, or two. Now imagine Tom had the opportunity to go down um, to the park where Ed Sheeran is performing, and he, he preached the gospel, and a thousand people responded to him. And then he gets home, and he says to his wife, Sarah, a thousand people just responded to the gospel. And Sarah said, that's fantastic. And he says, I knew it. I knew God was so graceful and so gracious and merciful. The first thing Sarah will do is pick up the phone and call the elders and say, something is wrong with my husband. Let us pray for him. And it's absurd. But that's the reaction that Jonah had. And sometimes it's, it, it becomes very easy to misunderstands Jonah's point of view, where Jonah is coming from. We look at it and say that that, that's a very odd thing to do, Jonah. And if we look clearly at what Jonah was doing when Jonah preached the the, the sermon to the people, there was no mercy and grace in there. If you look at what he preached, he said, in 40 days' time, Nineveh will be destroyed. Basically, walked through the city and said, you're all going to die. God is going to destroy you in 40 days' time. That was his expectation. He, he wanted that to happen. And you can see that because the king says, who knows, maybe God might withdraw his anger. So Jonah didn't even give them that out, that if you repent, God might withdraw his anger from you. So for them, they, were just, they just thought, we, we, we've offended the God of heaven. He was hoping that they will be destroyed. He was hoping that they will die. It's a very odd thing. Except if you know the background of, of Jonah, you will realize that Jonah comes from the northern, northern kingdom of Israel under King Jeroboam II. And this was a time of expansion in the kingdom of Israel. And they were doing fairly well under Jeroboam, Jeroboam II. But Nineveh, or, or the Assyrian, and Nineveh being the capital of Assyria, were the rivals of the, the, the Israelites. They weren't their allies. And they weren't just nice rivals. They were brutal rivals. And we've heard about how terrible the Assyrians can be, how they decapitate entire cities and, 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 and flay their, their opponents and skin them and, and mutilate them. They weren't, they weren't good people. They weren't cuddly enemies. They were rivals. And it's very important to understand that if Nineveh was destroyed, if God's prophecy saying Nineveh would be destroyed, if that came to pass, that would have been great for the Israelite kingdom. That would have taken a piece of the chessboard and made them one of the big dogs in the Levant, in the Mediterranean area. And so Jonah, who, who served under King Jeroboam, 
He knew this. He, he was a political guy. He was a patriot. He was faithful to the kingdom of Israel. And so he looks at this and he says, but we're your people, God. We're your chosen people. How can you send me to our enemies to save them? In, in case you don't get this, imagine it to be during the build-up towards the Second World War, whilst the German, Germans were building up their arsenals, and the Archbishop of Canterbury in this country receives a call from God, and God says, go to uh, Berlin now. I have a word for you that Berlin will be destroyed. All their military power will be destroyed. Go to them and, and, and tell them that. And, and the Archbishop guy is thinking, why am I going to go there and give them a, a possible out? Isn't it a good thing if all their armaments and all their military buildup was destroyed? And, and, he, and you sympathize with Jonah from that point of view. You can see why he was upset. There's something Jonah missed. Jonah forgot when God promised Abraham. He said, God said to Abraham, through you I will bless all the nations. There was a, there was a promise in there that God said, I'm going to choose you, but not just so that I can have a good time with you, but I've got a mission I've got an assignment. I've got a work for the entire world through your lineage. If Jonah remembered that, if he understood that in the proper context, then he might remember then or understand that maybe there is something to this. Maybe the people of Israel are not just to enjoy our prosperity within themselves, but to bring God's truth, bring God's goodness, bring God's righteousness to the world. And just a little, a little segue. It's quite relevant to what we're talking about. We, we are going through a time in history, in human history, where we can see major alliances breaking up and new ones forming. Schisms, political schisms coming up around the place. So we've we got the, 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 in our country, in the context of, of Europe, we've got the EU going on. And, and this, this is causing a lot of angst in in the world, in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our nation, and even in the church, I've seen it. But there is one thing that we have to remember, because this is all um, the, what you will call, you know, the kin- games of kingdoms, basically. One kingdom vying for sovereignty and another kingdom. It's, it's all about that. But one thing you have to remember is that our mission, our assignment is for the kingdom of God. We are called to love our nation. We are called to serve our country. We are called to be patriots, to be faithful to our country. But we are called first to seek the kingdom of God. That's why in this church, we've been tasked, we've, been, we've tasked people and we've assigned people to go out into mainland Europe. And we've also had people from mainland Europe come into here because that's the duty of the church. That's our assignment. We're called to build God's kingdom. That's our number one task. And Jonah forgot this. He, it became all about him. He forgot about the character of God. Although he quoted Exodus 34 to God when he says, Oh, um, God, you're, you're merciful. Because when God passed before Moses on Sinai, God proclaimed to, to Moses and says, The Lord, the Lord, merciful. You know, forgiving the iniquities of, of sinners, but not letting the, 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 the unjust go unpunished. God proclaimed to Moses that I'm a merciful God. And Jonah said, I knew this. I, I knew you were merciful. And, and that's why I thought, God is merciful. 
if there is one chance that he might save the people of Nineveh, I don't want to give them that chance. I want to seal the destruction. I want to seal the ending. And so we, 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 we come to uh, the, the, this point, which is, what is, what is our drive as Christians? What, what is our motivation? Is it about God meeting our needs in terms of meeting our desires and our wants and our priorities in life? Because we're human beings and have priorities in life. Or is it about God's kingdom? Is it about what his plan is and what he wants to accomplish in our town and in our nation and in the nations, in the wider nations? There's a time when I, I remember that <clears throat> or I, I was on my way to, to a wedding. I, got, I, I was convicted to, to just get up and, and, and preach the gospel on the train. And, and one thing led to another. I, I preached the gospel, sat down, and the train got stopped. I got arrested, basically, and I was questioned in front of the train. It was one of the most humiliating things I ever went through. I, and, and I remembered, I remembered after that event, I, I thought, oh, it was good that I, you know, I got arrested for the kingdom of God. But I, 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 was, I was thoroughly, thoroughly humiliated. And I thought, I'm an upstanding citizen. I've done nothing wrong here. People, they do worse than I have done. And, and they get away with it. And I was, I began to resent the person that called the police to start with. I resented the police for what I felt, um, the abuse of their powers. And I think secretly I resented God. How could you let that happen to me? But it, the reality of the matter is, it, it's not about me. It's not about how I looked. It's not about my comfort, my priorities. It's about the kingdom of God. Because perhaps it was the person who called the police. Someone who was so stared up and provoked enough to call the police. Maybe that was the, the message for that person. Maybe that person now knows Christ. I don't know. But it became about me. And sometimes we, we forget that it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. It's about God's assignment here on earth. And we forget that it is the most privileged thing we could ever be tasked with doing. That the God who created the stars, that created the expanse of the universe, says, I want to expand my kingdom through you. I want you to be my ambassador to expand my kingdom. It's the height of privilege. And we, we have to start to see, see it that way. And so I'll go on into Jonah um, 4. We'll read the rest of it. And Jonah says, this is, for, or this is going to be from verses 5 of chapter 4 to the end. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what will become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah. And it became a shade for him to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Then the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he, said, and he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. 
Should I not pity that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? And so we see here the finality of Jonah's journey. We see Jonah walk through the city, doesn't pass go, or passes go, doesn't collect his 200 and just goes out of the city, sits on the outskirts of the city from what one might describe as a safe distance because Jonah was still holding out hope that maybe, just maybe, God will send just one little asteroid and destroy the whole thing. So he was holding out hope because he says, he says, he says, he sat under the shade to let you see what will become of the city. So he was still hoping. And God looked at Jonah and just thought, what a funny guy. And he, he sits, makes a little tent for himself. It's called Booth. Makes a little tent for himself. But it's still quite hot. So something happens. God creates a, a plant. It grows up. The, the Hebrew there is called Kikayan. And I was looking at it, and then uh, there was some arguments with theologian. August, Augustine and some other theologian were arguing, oh, this is the type of plant. But it, it is argued that that plant in that area is likely to be uh, uh, a, a sort of castor plant, basically. So it grows between eight, 8 inches and 15 inches in a year. So it takes about 15, uh, a year to grow about 8 to 15 inches. It's quite a big plant, and the, the leaves are very broad and will provide very good shade in, 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 in a hot climate. So what we see here is another miraculous work of God because this thing will take a year to, to grow and it literally grew within a night, basically. And we see what God says, or what it says in scriptures here, that Noah was, or Jonah rather, was exceedingly happy. This is the first time in this short book that Jonah was exceedingly happy. <laughs> you know, he was running away, he was angry, he was like, let me die, you know, you know kicking and screaming. But the first time, he was ecstatic. Oh, finally, things are looking up. Maybe God is going to see things my way and send out one little asteroid to destroy Nineveh. And so he's there watching our, you know, time pass under his nice little botanical roof. But can you imagine? Someone said to you, how was your week? Oh, yeah, I, you know, I did this, I did that. I took my, we went out to Legoland and we had fun. We did this. And you ask someone else and says, oh, yeah, I built, I built a, a, a house in, you know, in, two, in two days. Oh, wow, that's a, that's a wonderful highlight. What about you? Oh, I sat under a nice shade. People, people think, well, that's the best that happened to you this week? You sat under a nice shade? But it points to the desperation of Noah, of Jonah, rather. I keep saying Noah. <laughs> it rhymes. But it points to his desperation. That it was a, such a low point that the thing that gave him so much joy was a plant that gave him shade. Uh, can you think about the bitterness he must have had, the hurt, the pain, the anger? The best he had was a shade over his head, sitting in the middle of the desert. When I could tell you, those people in the town would have welcomed him with open hands because he came to bring this message of he's going to be destroyed. And then not destroyed. So they'll be like, oh, come, come and sleep here. Come and enjoy this food, enjoy that. But he despised them. He resented them. And he was teeming in his own hatred, in his own anger, in his own pettiness, in his own small world. And so it can become very... Um, <clears throat> we, we, can, we, 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 we can look at Jonah and go, 
Yeah, he's a petty man. And God says to him, you know, what's wrong with you? And Jonah's like, I want to die. There's no point in living. You know, it's what, what little kids say. Oh, I just wish you'd die. And God's like, why are you angry? Why are you, why are you angry about a plan? Is it, is it good? Jonah's like, yes, it's good I die. It's, I'm, I'm angry to the point of death. And God says to him, you're, you're angry because your plant is dead? But you, you didn't plant that plant. You didn't grow it. You didn't water it. I did that. But you're angry because the plant is dead? Or if you're angry for that plant, you had no input into, why shouldn't I be angry or compassionate or concerned, rather, over 120,000 people in a city? And the book of Jonah ends with a question. In that moment when God says that to Jonah, he reveals two things. Firstly, he exposes Jonah's heart. The first point is that Jonah's source of joy was no longer in God. His motivation, what excited him, wasn't what excited God. It wasn't about building the kingdom. It was about his own way. He wanted to see that, that, that country destroyed. He wanted to see that city destroyed. And he wanted to do it under a nice shaded area. And God allowed him that shade. And he was, he was happy in that. And sometimes we can look at that and go, yeah, he's quite a petty man. And we can say, yeah, he's, he's a, he's, I wouldn't do that. If I was Jonah, I wouldn't do it, things like that. But how, how many times do we spend hours watching Netflix and watching TV when we, we could be out having a conversation with our neighbor, befriending people for the sake of the gospel? How many times do we spend time doing DIY? There's nothing wrong with DIY because I enjoy DIY. But the point is sometimes we can become navel gazers and spend so much time within our own little bubble while there's a world out there lost and living under God's wrath and under God's justice. And that was what Jonah was concerned about his priorities, about his little world, about his own ambition. And God is like, what about... What about my people? I made these people. God says, I'm the God of all flesh. Not just Jewish flesh or Israeli flesh. All flesh. In our culture today, uh, the unpardonable sin, if you don't know it, is to cause offense. You could, you could walk into a street and shoot a man in the head. You, you'll come out of jail at some point. But you cause offense to someone and they'll be baying for your blood. And normally in our context, offenses, you bring the gospel to someone. You saying that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that all who believe in him will not perish. Oh, you, you mean I'm going to perish? Are you saying you do not approve of my life or my actions or my attitude towards God? That causes offense. And that becomes the unpardonable sin. Unfortunately, many of our, our, our churches, many of our brothers and, and sisters in Christ of taking on board this idea and what they have now done is water down their gospel or avoided the gospel. At an individual level, sometimes we don't want to engage with people because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to be arrested by police. And you know what's most pernicious about this is that the churches now say it is a loving thing to do. It is a loving thing to do. 
<laughs> what did Paul say? He said the gospel is an offense. The, the cross is an offense. It's an offense to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. It's an offense. It, there, there is no sugar coating it. Now, I'm not talking about going to people and poking your finger in their eyes because you want to make a point. I'm not saying step on their foot or spit in their faces. And that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about bringing the truth about salvation, about our state as human beings, our relationship with God, about Jesus Christ, and about salvation in Him. That's what I'm saying. That is offensive because that's telling people that they are wrong in their ways. And nobody wants to be told that. And sometimes even we who've come to faith in Christ, you know, when my wife tells me something and my pride, I'm like, no, 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 I, I don't want to hear that. So how much more people living outside the kingdom of God? It's an offense. But we lie to ourselves when we say it's the most loving thing we can do. How can it be loving to see our friends, our family members, our neighbors, Walking under God's judgment. And we know in the back of our mind, when we die, we will all stand and give an accounting to God. How can it be loving for us to just watch them, have nice laughs with them, have nice cup of teas with them, have wonderful time with them, but not bring them the opportunity to be in an eternal, saving, loving relationship with their creator? How can that be loving? How can I know my friend, he's dying of, a, of, of, of an ailment, cancer. And I said, well, I know this doctor is really good. And, and we, we told that from him because I don't want to step on my friend's toes. There's not love in that. It's just cowardice and, and, and maliciousness. And God called Jonah out on this. and says, you, you care about a plant. You care about little things, but you don't care about human beings made in the image of God. God cries out every day and every night for those who are perishing. Scripture says that he doesn't desire to see people perish but come to salvation. There's a, there's a perception out there that God is just waiting without, like a man with a stick, just waiting for you to do something wrong. And once you just put your foot wrong, just taps you in the head. People think that that's the kind of God that we're worshiping. But this is a God whose, whose heart calls out who cries, who chases after us. I read before, I, I mentioned before, in, in um, Exodus 34, 6-7, the Lord says to Moses, as he causes himself to pass before Moses on Mount Sinai, the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but will, who will by no means clear the guilty? So God says, I'm a merciful God. I'm a gracious God. But I will not let the guilty go unpunished. It says, I will forgive the iniquity and transgression of sin. There's a contradiction in there, if you haven't looked at it closely. God is saying, I will forgive sinners, but I won't let sinners go unpunished. How, how can that be? The truth is, we've all sinned. So how can God forgive sinners and not let sinners go unpunished? We know on this side of of, of, of of reality on, on this side of the cross, we know now that there, is a, there was a better Jonah that came. A, a Jonah that was in the belly of the earth for three days and for three nights. A Jonah who faithfully obeyed God's call to the world. And we call him Jesus Christ. We know that on the cross of Jesus Christ, 
we know that God's mercy and God's salvation was given to us whilst our sins and the punishment meant for us was placed in Jesus Christ. And so at that very moment, God fulfills Exodus 34, 67. He lets those who are guilty go unpunished, and he lets those who are sinners not go unpunished because he treated Christ like he was us. And I think one of the things we do sometimes, especially when we come into faith, is we begin to downplay how we come into the family of God. We begin to downplay our role. We say, maybe I wasn't that bad. Maybe my sins were not that bad. Maybe God, you know, maybe I wasn't as bad as those drug dealers out there. God didn't have to do such a big, heavy work of forgiveness on me. And we lie to ourselves. You know what that does? It builds pride in us. We begin to feel like I'm, I'm not as terrible as those people out there. When I heard God, eventually I came, came along. We forget that it was, at one point we were outside God's family. We now have access, not because of our special work, not because of our perfect attendance to church, not because of how much we give to charity, but because of God had mercy on us. He, he showed us his love even when we didn't deserve it. And I think it is, it, it is very important for us when we pray, um, when we have times with God, to remember where he called us from, to remember that we, we don't deserve where we are standing in him. We ought to remind ourselves daily that we are saved from the, the, the pride of, of life, the lust of the flesh, from these things that the lack of self-control. That's where it saved us from. And sometimes we, we also we, we look at people and, and, we, and we say to them that maybe they're just too stubborn. There's some people here who they know themselves, they know their hearts, even now, how stubborn they can be. But yet God still works in us. God still calls us. Christ said something, says, he who loves much is forgiven much. question we have to ask ourselves is, have we been forgiven much? Or do we think we've been forgiven much? Some people think, like the Pharisees, yeah, not that bad. And therefore, their love for God was small. In this church, over the past few weeks, we've talked about courage, going out to the world, being courageous in the work of missions. But the thing about it is, courage is good. There's nothing wrong with courage. There was some element of courageousness with Jonah. He went through a pagan city. They could have killed him. But there was no love. There was no compassion. There was no desire to see those who were perishing saved. Because you know what compassion does sometimes? It, it, it makes you run into the middle of the road to pull a child out of the face of danger. That's what compassion does. Compassion doesn't make you stand idly by, knowing something is wrong with your friend. No one, no one sees their friend dying and, you know, knows there's a remedy for them and, and just says, oh, you know, let's, let's switch on the TV and have a good time together. There's no compassion in that. We know this. And so the question now we have to ask ourselves is, what has captured the affections of our heart? For Jonah, it was his country. He loved this country so much, he was willing to see an entire group of people destroyed. What has captured our affections? 
what occupies our time, our thinking, our mind, our passions. Because if we examine our heart and we realize what those things are, if it's not God, guess what? Our zeal, our desire to see others saved will be reduced and low and weak. And we have to ask ourselves, how much are we in love with God? Because the more we love God, the more we are drawn to Him, the more we, we desire to be in His presence, the more we want to spend time with Him, it's the more our heart begins to reflect His heart. We start to want what He wants. We start to desire His kingdom. And the Father's heart is filled with compassion because He loves those that are perishing. That's why we've become part of His family. How much we love the Father determines how much we love those that He's placed around us. I'm going to end it on that point here. This is a call for us to examine ourselves. It's an answer to the question, how much do we love God? How much are we in love with our maker? How much are we in love with Christ who made himself naked that we may be clothed? Who made himself an outcast that we may be in the family of God? How much are we in love with that Christ? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truths. We thank you because you challenge us because you want us to become more like you. We thank you because we were once not in your family, but because of the obedience of Christ, because of his perfect work, and because of his blood, we have now become part of your family. Help us, oh God, to, to see the goodness in this, to be elevated and motivated by this. Help us to spend time with you in your presence and be captured and enraptured by you, Lord. And in doing so, Lord, transform our hearts that we may go out to the world, to our friends, to our neighbors, and love them as you've loved us and as you've loved the world. Help us in this, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.